Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Luke chapter 20, starting at verse 27. Some of the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and have children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first married a woman and died childless. The second and then the third married her. And in the same way, the seven died, leaving no children. Finally, the woman died too. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be, since the seven were married to her? Jesus replied, The people of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of taking part in that age and the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. And they can no longer die, for they are like the angels. They are God's children, since they are children of the resurrection. But in the account of the bush, even Moses showed that the dead rise, for he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living for to him all are alive. Some of the teachers of the law responded, Well said, teacher. And no one dared to ask him any more questions. Martin, uh, thanks very much for reading. Do keep that Bible passage open in front of you. We'll be uh, looking at that uh, this evening. Again, I'd like to add my welcome to that of uh, Ben's already. Uh, welcome to you all. And uh, if you've not been here before, then uh, you won't know that we're looking through this section of Luke's Gospel, one of the four accounts of Jesus' life. And... Uh, And we continue looking at this section now, uh, this evening. Before we turn to it, let me pray for us now, that God would speak to us. Heavenly Father, we pray that uh, in, as uh, Ben has been saying, a broken world, uh, you would give us great uh, hope for the future and great hope through all the brokenness. In Jesus' name, amen. I can barely think of a more important issue in the whole world than the question of whether there is life after death. I don't think it's a much more important issue because it's an issue that concerns us all, everyone who walks this planet, because it is true that we will all die. And as one person said to me, eternity is a very long time. So it really matters to know whether there is life beyond the grave And surely, if ever we felt the truth of that, it was this week following the atrocity in Las Vegas. In one moment of madness, in a matter of minutes, without warning, 59 people who were living life to the full had their lives snatched away. The question of life after death really matters. But it doesn't have to be a massacre of that magnitude for us to realize how important it is. This week, I had a call from someone to tell me of a cancer cancer diagnosis. Suddenly, death has come very near for a dear family. Eternal life matters. Well, this evening, we see Jesus confronted by a group of people on that very issue. The people in question are a group called the Sadducees, as you can see from Luke chapter 20 and verse 27. The Sadducees were a group of religious leaders who are the latest in a line of religious leaders in this section of Luke's gospel who have had a kind of face-off with Jesus. Now look back with me, if you will, to the end of chapter 19, where this all began. Chapter 19 and verse 47. 
Every day, Jesus was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. You see what Luke tells us? Uh, There are a bunch of religious leaders, different bunches of religious leaders who hated Jesus. They all wanted to get rid of him once and for all. And that's what we see unfolding in chapter 20. Jesus, as it says in 1947, in the temple, being confronted by these various different religious groups trying to catch Jesus out, trying to find a way they can kill him. And so as we turn to chapter 20 and verse 27, suddenly now the Sadducees step forward. The Sadducees were leaders in Israel and they had a significant following. I think it would be fair to describe them as influential liberals. Their opponents might have called them compromisers because they'd sided with the Romans. Now all that as it may be, and we could say much more about the Sadducees, in verse 27 Luke tells us the one thing we do have to know about the Sadducees And that is, do you see there in verse 27? They taught that there was no resurrection from the dead. For them, when you're dead, you're dead. There is no life beyond the grave. This life is all you have. Now to our ears, that might seem a bit strange coming from religious people. Now for sure, we expect that kind of view from atheists and secular humanists. To be honest, most people live their lives as if this life were all we had. I think of uh, the words of Bruce Willis, the American actor and producer, perhaps most famous for playing police officer John McClane in the Die Hard movies, which uh, dates you if you uh, remember those. I came across uh, this interview a few years back. Um, The interviewer asks Bruce Willis why as a young man he chose to live life so intensely, even recklessly, and uh, Willis Answers in this way. I knew the fragility of life. In 1976-77, I almost lost my brother David in a car accident. And I almost lost my sister to Hodgkin's disease, both within two months of each other. I went back to my little hometown and stayed there for six months while these guys recuperated. Then I had a friend from college who moved to New York and got killed in a freak accident when his taxi got sideswiped, jumped the curb, took him out in a second, dead. Willis snaps his fingers like that. So early on, I really had a strong awareness of how quickly life can be taken away, how we really have no choice about who our parents are and what genes we're going to get or how long we're going to live or what the circumstances of our life are going to be. The only thing we do have is to try and be alive in the moment. Don't take life for granted. Live it up. Live life to the full. That's Bruce Willis's philosophy of life. I believe it was a few years ago. Have a blast while it lasts. You've only got one chance. Of course, if there is no life beyond the grave, I I don't mind telling you, I think that seems a pretty sensible way to live. That said, that wouldn't have been how the Sadducees lived. They were religious people who didn't believe in life after death. I might sound a bit strange to our ears, but don't be fooled into thinking that the Sadducees' philosophy is consigned to a kind of bygone era. Be sure, there are many religious people who think exactly like them today in this very city, in the Church of England. You will find religious people who call themselves Christian and who go to church and even who lead churches who don't believe that there is life beyond the grave. They don't advocate advocate having a blast while it lasts. They don't take Bruce Willis's line. They teach that we should live 
a good, loving and wholesome life for the good of society, that we should love one another and be generous because if we all live like that, it would make the world a better place. And we only have one shot at life, so let's make it as pleasant as we can for as many as we can. Now, that would have been the sort of thing the Sadducees uh, said in their approach to life. And they reckoned they had a solid theological reason to support their view. Indeed, they were so sure of the consistency of their position that they reckoned they could catch Jesus out with their reasoning. You see, Jesus did believe in the resurrection. We heard it earlier from Ben. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he die. And they said, we'll show you from the Bible that your position, Jesus, is wrong. Look at what happens in verse 28. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and have children for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first one married a woman and died childless. The second and then the third married her. And in the same way, the seven died, leaving no children. Finally, the woman died too. Now then at the resurrection, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? And here's our first point, if you're taking notes. The Sadducees' position, this life is all we have. You see what's going on here? The Sadducees get their Bible open, pointed to the law of Moses. And if you want the reference to look it up later, it's the 25th chapter of Deuteronomy. And they told a story that they believe was a cast-iron biblical argument for believing that there can't possibly be life beyond the grave. This is important. They were arguing from the Bible. They weren't misquoting the Bible here. In Deuteronomy chapter 25, the law of Moses does teach that if a man died without having a son, then the brother of the dead man must marry his brother's widow and have children by her so that the dead brother's name and inheritance will continue in the promised land. It was a law that served a special purpose for God's people as they prepared to go into the promised land. It was a law designed to ensure that they would keep their place in the promised land. And we see it being worked out in the Bible book of Ruth. So the Sadducees quoted that law and then told a story that they thought proved that there was no life beyond the grave. Some people think that the story uh, here was a well-known story that Sadducees all over the place often told to prove the point. Now, whether that's the case or not, think your way into the story for a moment. The Sadducees kind of paint a picture for it. It's a brilliant picture. Brother number one dies, leaving a wife without any children. So brother number two marries her, as the law of God said that he should, and then he dies. Uh, So brother number three marries her, and he also dies before she has any children. And this goes on until brother number seven marries her. And whenever I read this, I'm tempted to think that this woman must have been putting something in her husband's tea. And it also leaves me wondering how brother number seven felt on his wedding day. I doubt he'd have got life insurance the day before. Anyway, that has got nothing to do with anything because this is not a true story. It's a theological conundrum. And the Sadducees told the story to demonstrate in their eyes the utter inconsistency of believing that there is life beyond the grave. See the conclusion, verse 33? Now then, at the resurrection, because they don't believe there is one, they think it's ridiculous. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? Bingo. 
there can't be a resurrection of the dead or this woman will be married to seven men in heaven. There can't possibly be resurrection, can there? And of course, there are many people today who would say the same, not for the same reason especially. They would say there simply is no life after death. It's more logical, they would say, not for the same reason, but logical to believe that there is no life at all. This is all we have. They will say life after death is make-believe to help weak people who can't cope with the stark reality of death be able to get through that horrible time. Well, let's see how Jesus replied, shall we? And the way Jesus answers the Sadducees will teach us four things. It will teach us about marriage, but that's not the main point. It will teach us about Jesus' attitude to the Bible, but that's not the main point. It will teach us the foolishness of trying to argue against Jesus, and that is one of the main points in this section. And it will teach us about the resurrection, whether there is one or not. So let's see Jesus' reply, and here's the second point for you. Jesus' reply, the, the joyful Biblical truth that there is a resurrection. Verse 34, Jesus replied, the people of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of taking part in that age and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage and they can no longer die for they are like the angels. They are God's children since they're children of the resurrection. But in the account of the bush... Even Moses showed that the dead rise, for he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, in short, that the Sadducees had it hopelessly wrong. Firstly, they had it wrong on marriage, first point under this second point. Jesus says, do you see it there in verse 35? Uh, sorry, verse 34. Marriage is for this age. Jesus says, there is no marriage in heaven. So whether you've been married one time or seven times, no one will be married come the resurrection. Now look, it's important that this is not to undermine marriage. Marriage is a brilliant good gift given by God. And God gave us marriage for many reasons, many reasons. But one big fundamental reason for marriage is that it is a picture to us of the marriage, the relationship that we were all made for, a relationship with God. Right through the Bible, we see Jesus described as the bridegroom and the church, God's people, as the bride. One day, Jesus, the bridegroom, will return to be with his people, the bride, forever. In the glorious new heavens and new earth, the new creation, we, God's people, will be married to Jesus Christ. When this world as we know it is wrapped up, our relationship with Jesus will be consummated. Life beyond the grave will give us everything we were made for and everything we're waiting for, whether we realize it or not, it's what our heart is desiring. In eternity, we will enjoy a relationship with God so close and so intimate That human marriage is the perfect picture of it. But the point is this, a relationship with God is where we will find ultimate satisfaction and delight and joy. And it is everlasting. So in the new heavens and the new earth, there'll be no need for marriage between a man and a woman. Now let me ask you, if you're Christians here, if you believe that. Because that understanding should change the way we view marriage. We must never look for marriage to be the ultimate thing. 
the place where we find complete fulfillment and completeness. Now, that is a real danger, firstly, for the single Christian, but also for the married Christian. Let me say why it's a danger for the single Christian. If you think, if you're single, when I meet the perfect person, I'll be happy and complete and satisfied, you are actually looking for something in that person that only Jesus Christ can give you. And getting this wrong is a danger for the married person too. If I think that my wife can give me ultimate satisfaction, I am going to be disappointed. And I will put an unbearable strain on our marriage. Caroline cannot live up to that expectation. I'm asking her to be God. It's a great way to have a dissatisfied marriage. A relationship with God through Jesus Christ is what we were made for and will give us everything our heart desires. And we can begin that relationship now, but we won't know it fully until we're with Jesus beyond the grave. Now, if you're not yet a committed Christian, can I uh, gently urge you to look into this? Uh, Because if this is right, beginning a relationship with God through Jesus Christ is where you will find what your heart is yearning for in life. Let me encourage you to come to the Christian Explored course that begins on Tuesday that uh, Ben mentioned earlier. So the Sadducees were wrong about marriage. There is no marriage in heaven. Second, the Sadducees didn't read their Bibles carefully enough, which is ironic because they thought they had a rock-solid biblical rationale for their position. Look what Jesus says in verse 37. In the account of the bush, he's talking about Exodus chapter 3 that we had read just earlier, In the account of the bush, even Moses showed that the dead rise, for he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. This is a brilliant answer. What am I saying? Of course it's a brilliant answer. Jesus said it. Anyway, it was a brilliant answer. But look, just stop for a minute before we think about it and ask yourself, if you were being challenged to prove that the Old Testament taught that there is life beyond the grave, where would you go? I know now you're saying I go to Exodus chapter 3, but where would you have gone before you'd thought of this? It's brilliant to go to Exodus chapter 3 because um, for the Jewish religious establishment, this Exodus chapter 3 was a foundational Bible passage. Jesus isn't going to some sort of side passage, some sort of odd law here or there. He's going right to the heart of what the the, the religious leaders would have often read, where God revealed himself to Moses. Moses, Israel's great leader and prophet. And Jesus says, when Moses went over to that bush that was burning up, it was on fire but not burning up, God said to Moses... I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were the patriarchs of Israel. They were the foundation of the very existence of the nation of Israel. And here's the key thing. When God said those words, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those three guys, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, had been dead for hundreds of years. Yet halfway through verse 37, God said he was their God at that time. Not that he had been their God when they'd been alive, but that he was their God even though they had died. He was still their God. It proved that he still had a relationship with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that that relationship didn't end at death. So Jesus is saying to the Sadducees, you haven't read your Bible carefully enough. 
The Sadducees had taken one Bible passage from Deuteronomy chapter 25 and used it to construct a dodgy theological position. And if they'd read their Bible more carefully, and especially at this most significant moment in their history, they'd have known that there was indeed resurrection life for God's people. Jesus teaches us then in this that uh, we've got to read the Bible carefully, uh, which is a danger for all of us, but especially the theological liberalism in the church of today, which doesn't take the Bible as a whole and picks and chooses what parts it likes, which is also a danger for us, but it is especially what they do. We need to have a robust approach to the Bible that is internally consistent throughout the Bible. The third thing here, um, and uh, here we come to one of the really two main points, uh, is that um, we're on very shaky ground when we try to outwit Jesus. Over these last weeks, uh, as we've looked at Luke chapter 20, Chris Tufnell and Andy Fernley have both helpfully demonstrated this very thing from these earlier passages. It's good to come to Jesus with an honest, inquiring mind. Jesus himself said, seek and you will find. Seek out answers about the existence of God and the reliability of the Bible and who Jesus is and why he came and what it means to follow him. Ask honest questions to seek out answers and you will find answers. You will find him. Years ago, I I heard someone say, it's okay to ask questions because if God can't stand up to the questioning, then he's not God at all. God can cope with our questions. Christianity and the Bible is a thoroughly robust and solid and completely consistent worldview. Ask questions. Come along to Christianity Explored, which is a terrific environment in which to ask questions. More than that, it's been set up so that you can ask questions. But please know the difference between asking searching questions with an honest, open mind and doing what the religious leaders were doing here in this chapter. They were asking questions in order to try and catch Jesus out. They were asking questions with a closed mind. They were asking questions to prove their own position right. It's what the Sadducees did and what the other religious leaders did in this section, and it made them look very stupid. Look, be sure we are on very dodgy ground when we try to take on Jesus, when we question his authority, when we try to use our minds to outwit Jesus. That is a very dangerous thing to do, and you're going to lose because Jesus made your mind. You're never going to know more than him. And that's why this passage ends as it does. Verse 40, no one dared to ask him any more questions. I bet they didn't. No, not when the questions were an attempt to catch Jesus out. Jesus answer, answers, uh, teaches us about marriage. It teaches us about uh, Jesus' approach to the Bible. It teaches us about the danger of wrongly questioning Jesus. And fourthly and lastly and briefly, Jesus' answer teaches us about the resurrection. We've kind of seen this already. Jesus proved that there is life beyond the grave. He absolutely floored the Sadducees. He cut right through their flimsy position And that's why their opponents, incidentally, were so pleased. Look at verse 39. Some of the teachers of the law responded, well said, teacher. Not because they were on Jesus' side. They'd already tried to catch him out themselves. No, they were pleased with this answer because they loved how Jesus made the Sadducees look so stupid. But while the teachers of the law were pleased because the Sadducees had been put in their place... We should be pleased, not because an argument has been won, but because this is brilliant news. 
There is life beyond the grave. What a relief. At the end of this week, when 59 people have been brutally cut down in Las Vegas, what a relief. At a time when some here tonight have had the most difficult personal news to cope with this week, as we come face to face with death, this is brilliant news. For me, it's one of the main reasons I'm a Christian. When I was 17, my best friend Lawrence committed suicide. He was a brilliant badminton player. He represented England. He represented England when he was younger than the age that he should have been representing them for. And he was a bright lad. He did very well at school, unlike his friend who was hopeless. In every way, he seemed to have a great future ahead of him, but it was all too much for him. And when he took his own life, I found myself confronted with my own mortality. I didn't think anybody died at 17. And I was 17. And I couldn't get my mind around nothingness. For me, death was utterly terrifying. I needed to know that there was life beyond the grave because if there's one thing we know, it's that we're all going to die and eternity is a very long time. And as I began to investigate the claims of Christ and was presented with Jesus, I discovered one who not only spoke about eternal life, but one who told me how I could have eternal life because he died on the cross so that I could be forgiven and made right with God. And then he proved beyond doubt that there is life beyond the grave by his resurrection from the dead. This is brilliant news. And it changes everything. And let me say one more time, if you don't know this, come along to Christian Explored. I can't think that there's anything more important for you to know than that there is life beyond the grave and that you are going to spend eternity with God. 10 o'clock in the morning with a creche, 7.15 in the evening with a meal. Come and join us. Come once, see if you like it. It will be the best investment you've ever made if you secure eternity through it. Some of you will be saying, this is so important, I don't want to wait even till Tuesday. Well, I've got some books here called The Case for Easter. Somebody said to me on the way in when they saw these, that's a bit early. Uh, well, uh, these books really just go through um, a good rationale for the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. I've got about 20 of them. Uh, the first 20 as you leave the uh, door. If you've never thought about these things before and want to get it sorted, just grab one from me. It won't cost you a penny. Well, thanks again for listening. Thanks for coming. Brilliant news. Resurrection from the grave through the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to sing of that now. Where, O grave, is your victory? The answer to that, if you don't have Jesus, is death wins. But to us who have Jesus, we ask, where's your victory? You don't win death. Not because of the death of the Lord Jesus. Let's uh, stand as the band lead us and we'll sing together.